Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore. CJ, how you doing this week? Jesse, doing well. How you doing, man? I hear we're on a time crunch here. We have to uh, finish this podcast before uh, your your son wakes up from his nap. Is, is that true? Oh man, we, we got we got this. He he takes. Uh, I'm I'm guessing one forty five two hour nap. So if we're still talking in two hours, I think uh, we've got problems. <laughs> yeah, we definitely would have problems and. You know, my computer might shut down by then, or people would all tune out by then. So, yeah, we'll keep this one to uh, to half hour to 45 minutes like we normally do. But a lot to talk about since we last talked a couple weeks ago. The biggest news for KU basketball in the last couple weeks uh, has been Svi Mikhailuk and his return to the team. And now that basically sets up KU's 13 scholarships for next season and sets up KU's rotation for next season. So let's start with this, CJ. Are you surprised by Svi Mikhailuk's decision to return to Kansas? No, I'm, I'm I'm not surprised. I kind of felt like it could go either way. I think if he would have been confident that he was going to get drafted in the first round or maybe early second or maybe even just get drafted at all, um, I think he might have stayed in the draft. But I think he probably got the kind of feedback that he needed to address some things and, and show some things in, in his game to to really you know have a good shot at either getting in the first round or, or getting a you know guaranteed contract. So I, I think it was a, a smart decision for him to uh, to return. What's crazy to me is I look at what he's done and you kind of forget about these things. You know, you're you're around these players so much and you think about uh, you know, what I guess you think of them as the last impression they've made on you or what they've done recently. But you know, looking back at Draft Express and Sfima Kyluk and what he's done on there at one point, I think he—I'd have to look this back up—but I think he was eighth in one mock draft when he first decided to come to Kansas. So it is kind of—it <laughs> is kind of crazy to track what people have thought of Sue McKaylee because, again, from all indications, from all those interviews that we saw out there, he was ready to go if he was even going to be a second-round pick. But with the ankle injury, uh, the shortened wingspan—you know—not being able to perform in the combine, it seemed like that wasn't even a guarantee. So the decision to come back may not have been totally his decision, but maybe more decision of, "Hey, my stock is really low right now." I got to come back and try to to get that back up again. Yeah, you're seeing more and more guys come from overseas and play college basketball in the United States. And in his situation, it maybe ended up hurting him. I think he might have had there might have been more intrigue if he just would have stayed in Ukraine and kind of stayed on the path he was on. You know, he's always done pretty well in international competition. Um, he's probably hurt himself a little bit by, by coming to Kansas, not, not, not necessarily hurt his game, but hurt just the perception of what he is. But at, at the same time, I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's necessarily stunted his growth. I, you know, he's gotten some of the best coaching you can get at, at, at this level. So, um, I think it's a good decision for him to come back and, and hopefully he, by the time he does enter the draft, he will be more prepared to play at the pro level than he would have been if he wouldn't have come to Kansas. Yeah, again, it's just kind of a fascinating thing because the, the reason he came to the States was to be an NBA player. And like you said, 
Um, unfortunately for him, if you're looking at this kind of from a big picture perspective, it just hasn't worked out. I mean, coming to Kansas and doing what he wanted to do, it just it hasn't worked out the way he envisioned because if it had, he would have been gone by now or he would have been considered an NBA draft prospect after this season. It hasn't happened. It doesn't mean the story can't turn out well for Sue Luke, but it just kind of is a shame because I believe his vision all along was to come to Kansas, stay a couple of years, and then go pro, be an NBA player. He was hoping that the exposure at KU would, would help him do that, and that just – it just hasn't turned out. Let's flip, though, the perspective to Kansas and how it changes for them. Now, again, KU has all its scholarship spots taken. You know the roster going into next season. How do you see Svee fitting into this roster next year, and what do you do for KU's roster construction coming up in 2017-2018? I mean, obviously, Svee is going to win National Player of the Year, right? Yeah, I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> I, you know, Jesse, I went back, and now that now that Svee has returned, and I look to see – what school has any school had a different guy win national player of the year in back-to-back seasons and and Duke did do it 0102 with with Jay Williams and or Shimbadia and Jay Williams so you know I think maybe we're we're looking at something like that where Svi is obviously the best player in college basketball and will finally dominate like we know he's capable of doing I'm not even going to give you a response to that <laughs> No I, I I think that I think Jesus is a is a solid piece that will help and I, I believe did you had a I think I read you had a blog I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before um where you talked about you know how are who are going to be the shot creators for this team and will they be able to get easy three-point looks am I, am I correct in that did it did I dream this? Did I just dream Jesse wrote some three-point blog? Or no, no, you that got it right. Happened, that, right? That, that happened earlier this week. That was hey, uh, the blog up look, on the site. Good job. I, I appreciate look, you being I'm, a loyal reader, yeah. Yeah, I read something you wrote. So I, I think that he helps in that regard because he is a guy that maybe we haven't seen a ton of it at KU, but I think that's, that's in his rep- repertoire. And you might see him get a handle a little bit more, be a little bit more of a creator than he was in the offense this past year where he was more of just kind of a spot-up guy. So I think he could he could maybe help there because, you know, I think Graham's going to be a really, really good setup guy. But Malik Newman's more of kind of a chucker. Um, and I, I don't know that you have, you know, other guys on the roster that, that really are, are great passers. And I, so I think help, Svee helps in that regard that the ball movement will will be better because he's on the floor because he's always been a pretty good ball mover pretty good passer and um you know you, you vic is not lajoa vic some of it that struggles in that regard so i think getting speed back that's that's one of the areas where he really helps I think you might be right, too. I might be a little bit unfair to Svee because I post his assist rate and talk about how he hasn't been a great assist guy so far. He's been a good passer in some certain pick-and-roll situations when he's been asked to do that, but mm-hmm. he really hasn't been asked to do it very often. Like you said, he's been more of a wing who's been asked to kind of go to the corner and shoot. So it might be more of a matter of opportunity for him to create for others rather than him not being able to do it. But again, until he is able to prove it, you kind of have to assume that's going to be an adjustment period for him if he's even going to be asked to do it again. Because, again, if you're penciling in Devontae Graham at the one, Malik Newman at the two, well, that puts Fee Mikhailuk at the three again, and you're kind of asking him to do the same thing he's done in his previous three years at Kansas, which is stand in the corner and shoot. Not necessarily, though, because, I mean, this roster is a lot different. It's, it's you know, ro- roles are going to evolve because, you know, think how much Frank Mason and Josh Jackson dominated the ball. I mean, every single game, first possession, going to Josh Jackson on that, um, you know, handoff. 
play. Like that was that was a given every game, first play. Frank Mason was the national player of the year. You know, dominated the ball quite a bit for for a KU guard to have the ball as much as he did. Um, you know, so the, the the offense is going to evolve. It's going to look a lot different. So I I think that you can't just look at these players and expect them to basically be what they've been in the past. I think some roles are going to change. And I, I think while I, I don't know if speeds will be a ton different, I, I, I can see it happening. I, I do think Devontae Graham's role is going to be a little bit different than, than he's had in the past, just being a little bit more of a facilitator than he has been in the past. Well, which is crazy because the, the talk we always hear about with Devontae Graham is, hey, this is the year he kind of gets to step into the offensive role. He's Here's the year where he kind of doesn't have to defer to everybody else. And that was one of the points I made in the article is like, this might be the year where he most has to defer just because you have all these shooters that need to be set up. And Devontae Graham has been decent at setting up shooters in the past and might have to do it even more. Let, let me get your thoughts on the, the blog too real quick, CJ, because I've had people come both sides of it and say, hey, I could see that being concerned. I can see where that might hurt Kansas. And then I've seen people uh, come to me and say, hey, look, you're making a mountain out of a molehill here. This is not going to be a big a problem as you're talking about. Uh, what do you think? I mean, is the loss of Mason and Jackson going to completely reshape this roster? And, and could it be a detriment to this Kansas team? I mean, I know it could be, but like how much of a detriment do you think it could be that they don't have that normal penetrating guy that's able to get by the defense and score at the rim, which kind of changes up uh, how you how you defend Kansas? Uh, I think back to the roster after the, the year they made the championships game. So that'd be 2013, right? Absolutely. Um, so Eli- Elijah, Elijah, Johnson. Elijah Johnson's the point guard. Um, you know, Ben, Ben McLemore's your two. He couldn't set up anybody. Um, Travis Relaford's your three man, not really a assist type guy. That offense ranked 27th in adjusted efficiency. And I think Devonte Graham's a much better facilitator than, and, and handler than, than Elijah Johnson. So, you know, you probably had more experience on that roster, but, but a little bit similar, Makeup, I, I guess you could say, is, is, is what kind of we're looking at right now. I think if, if there's any team that was most similar built to what the 2017-18 Jayhawks look like, it might be that one. And, you know, that team still was was 27th in adjusted offensive fishing. That's really low for a, a Bill Self team. But it, while, while making this point, I do think the, the big difference here when you look at those rosters is I say I think Graham is a much better point guard and much much more will be much more comfortable in that role than Elijah Johnson was. But at the same time, you're it's kind of a similar thing where Elijah Johnson was always that secondary ball handler and he had to go to become the primary guy. You know, Devontae's had the same thing. He's always been the secondary to Frank. Now he's going to be the primary, but I think he's much more equipped to do it than Elijah was. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. I kept thinking about that team when I was writing this as well, and the thing we've talked about with Frank Mason and Devontae Graham being different, Frank Mason could drive to score. He could get his shoulders by people and score at the rim. Devontae Graham more driving for a pull-up shot, and so that might not strike as much fear in those guys but again that kind of reminds you a little bit more of Elijah Johnson Elijah Johnson wasn't a guy who got his shoulders by guys got to the rim got fouled that sort of thing he was more hey I'll drive to to get an assist or drive to get a pull-up and so I, I do see similarities to that 2013 team and while you're mentioning that you know the thing I'm going to bring up right now CJ what am I going to say right Three. now they're three point percentage, just about middle of the pack for Bill Self teams. Well, maybe a little on the lower end. And not even three point percentage, three point rate, which is the right, amount of threes yeah. you take. So twenty nine percent of their shots that year were threes. That was two hundred eighty first nationally. And so this is exactly the but point. But that's that's about in line with, with Bill Self teams in that era. 
it, it, it is, but it's not I mean, in line you look, with the. You op- look the. You look. Let's see. You look the the year before. They were twenty nine six, and they had a shot creator in um, Tyshawn. So it really wasn't that different. Much different. You said two ninety six the year before. Is that what you said? Twenty nine point six. Yeah. Oh, twenty nine point six. Gotcha. Well, yeah. no, well. Let me say this though. I mean, again, you were talking about the the pieces that that team had. Okay, you've got Med Mac- Ben McLemore great three-point shooter. You've got Travis Relaford, great three-point shooter. And again, those guys, one of them, McElmore makes 42% of his threes. Relaford makes 42% of his threes. But again, that's not a team that shot a bunch of threes or shot maybe enough threes. And so you're kind of getting back to the original point of the blog, which is, hey, KU has got lined up these shooters. I mean, these guys are going to need shots. You know, Malik Newman's going to need shots. Devontae Graham's going to need threes. Uh, Sue McKayluk is going to need threes. Sam Cunliffe is probably going to need threes. Gerald Vick, you know, it was what, 37, 38% last year. So all these guys, for an effective, efficient offense, for something better than 27th, which was uh, KU's worst mark since, I believe, 2006, 2007, uh, if you're looking at Bill Self team, so one of the worst in the last decade, the, the big difference is they shot more threes. And they have the pieces to shoot threes this year, but they that year they weren't able to do it because, again, they, they didn't have the facilitators maybe of previous years. So, again, it, it could be something. It could be nothing. But at this point, I think that is kind of the worst-case scenario because if you remember the 2013 team, CJ, the reason that team won was Jeff Withy was in the back and blocking every shot that was coming toward him. So uh, they had he a was success. Amazing. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Amazing defensive player, an elite defensive team. I don't think you can project this Kansas team as that, but I think they're going to need a little bit more help from their offense. If you want more help from your Definitely. offense, that team, this team is going to have to shoot more threes. And so we'll see how that all shakes out. It'll be an interesting thing to track over the course of the season. Let's go ahead and get to some Twitter questions. We asked for Twitter, uh, t- Twitter topics on there and, uh, like normal, people did not disappoint. I'm going to get Andy Mitt's question right out of the way first off because this is the easiest answer of all. I just really want to know which one of you would win a pickup game one-on-one. I already responded, CJ. I put CJ not close. So tw- <laughs> ones and twos to 21, me versus you, what's the score? I mean, I think we've been through this before. Ones and twos to 21, it's like 21 to 3. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to make this happen, CJ, because I, I, if we put Bring the over-under at three, then I think I'm, I might just start chucking uh, twos until I, I make two of them. So uh, if I go – Bring I, it. Your, your three-point rate can be 90%. <laughs> can that's I, fine. Can I go two for 17 against you? I mean, come on. That's all I need to do. I don't know that you can. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> can, you go, can you go four to 17 against nobody? <laughs> That, uh, okay, we're going to have to make this happen now. Now, now, those are fighting words. We're going to have to make this happen at some point. The over-under on 21 is 3. Everybody remember that, and uh, I'm going to take it to CJ. Maybe we'll get some video evidence as well. Bobby Norell, a loyal listener, Bobby Norell says, does Frank Mason get drafted? If so, where? If Yogi Ferrell can find a spot in the NBA, Mason definitely can. So what's your feel right now, CJ? Do you think Frank Mason is going to be drafted? Yeah, I think he. I think he gets drafted. I think guys like Yogi Ferrell, Fred VanVleet, um, the success they had has has helped him. So I I think he gets drafted. I, I think he he makes it in the NBA. Now you you do have to take into account when you know it's not necessarily fair to just be like oh well Yogi Ferrell made it you know Frank Mason will you know Yogi Ferrell it took till he. At first, he played for Brooklyn, got picked up by Brooklyn, didn't do really much there. Then he got picked up by Dallas and, and had a lot of success there. You know, a lot of times it's a situation. And and Dallas, it's funny. I, I did a scouting report on him last year for Bleacher Report. And one of the teams and guys I talked about, like of of Yogi having a chance, was um, 
was Dallas, and I'm trying to think who's the who's the little guard Dallas has had forever. Um, he he went to Northeastern. He's a foreign guy. Uh, spacing right now. Um, Don't worry, I'm twittering it. Twitter, you're twittering it. I'm googling it. JJ. Uh, JJ Barea. Yeah, yeah, JJ Barea, JJ Barea. There you go. Um, I, I could, I, you know, I, I said Yogi Ferrell maybe kind of turn into a JJ Barea type, but JJ had, you know, a great fit in playing for for Dallas, who, you know, was was a, a franchise kind of willing to to have different types of guys, you know, not necessarily kind of thinking outside the box. And what do you know, he ends up at Dallas and having success <laughs> in a similar role. So, you know, I, I don't know what the perfect fit is, is in terms of what team maybe for, for Frank, but if he fi- finds himself in a good situation and a team where there's going to be minutes to be had, I, I think he's going to figure it out. And I think he's going to find his way, uh, uh, his way to staying into the league. Yeah. He consistently is moving up draft boards, which is important for him. Uh, draft express latest one has him going 48th in the Milwaukee bucks. And again, people can say, Oh, you'd rather pick your, your, your team late in the draft. And that's worked out for some guys like Tark black, but, there is some um, teams associate more value to the guys that they draft because you know there's more fanfare there and you don't want to be proven wrong so you might get an extra chance or two if you are drafted by a team so Frank Mason moving up to that point and it just means he'll probably get an extra look or two before a team gives up on him and that's something that uh, you would definitely like if you're in his position so everything seems to be trending up for him so he seems like a I've been saying all through you know December, January, February, that he wouldn't get drafted but would get a chance from a team, and it seems like he's definitely risen his stock since then. Yeah, for sure. I I, I, I think he's going to get drafted. I think he's going to make it. So I'm, I'm, I'm betting on Frank, and he had a good combine and uh, you know looked looked good in the scrimmages, although you can only take so much out of that. But the, to, to have the productive season he had at Kansas, to do that on that level, that got people's attention. And, you know, hike is a factor but it's you know like i said the guys who have had success recently and the way that the nba is where it's so much about spacing and having guys that, that can create rotations and having guys that can can do things off the dribble that's that's so valuable in today's nba and and you know frank mason that's that's the one thing he does better than just about anybody in college basketball so i think he's gonna have a shot from boys, Samurai Jayhawk, nice guy. I met him in Tulsa when KU was playing down there. Is Preston, Azubuki, Lightfoot, Whitman a sufficient four-man rotation to sustain Self's preferred high-low system? Or will Svi slash Sam Cunliffe see the four? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that'll be one of the most interesting things to watch over the first month of, of KU season and maybe on their you know trip overseas this, this year too. I, I, I do think that they, you know, we've talked about it. I think they're going to go back to more of traditional lineups this year yep. and you're going to see more high low, but a, a big factor in all of this is, is how ready is Billy Preston and, and, you know, what kind of player is he going to be? If he's a guy that, that turns out to be, you know, the five star talent that he is and plays like it, then I think you'll see KU going traditional if for some reason and i'm not saying he's going to be a disappointment but for some reason he's you know last year at this time we thought carlton bragg was going to be a big 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 time player for for kansas and he didn't end up being that so if if it's a situation where um you know the the kid comes out and kind of struggles like bragg did i could see ku kind of go into the small lineup not not maybe exclusively but a decent amount of it because they just have so many wings 
and he, there's there's only so much playing time and you know they got a lot of talent at that posi- more talent at that position than any other position so you know self's obviously figured out from last year a way to get those guys on the floor is is to play small and while there's defici- defensive limitations there i i still think you know if if those are the best players that you can put on the floor they'll figure out a way to do it in 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 a way. So I'm not, not sure I really answered the question, <laughs> but I, I, I think you could see a little bit of both again. Yeah, it's who would be your preferred small ball for? We've talked about this previously uh, for Boise and anybody else out there. If you go back to the previous podcast on your iPhone or, or Android or whatever device you're listening to to this, we talked a little bit of small ball and kind of who it would be. I've talked about LeGerald Vick being the, the most likely guy just because he might give up some ground, but he has some athleticism to recover. Other Big 12 schools have to do the same thing just because, you know, it's hard to compete. Uh, and get those top-notch big guys that KU seems to get every single year, even though you know it's been a little bit tougher in the last couple of years. But uh, you know, Boyce mentions Svi Mikhailuk and Sam Cunliffe. Do you see those guys as more likely than a Vic, or, or I guess who do you think is the most likely fit at a small ball for? I'll have to see more Sam Cunliffe. I just haven't seen enough of him to really know, um, you know, how he'll fit. But I, I'm with you. I, I think Vic is the most natural fit there. I mean, there's some games where maybe you're playing a team with a terrible four, and you know, you you can put whoever on him. You can just hide somebody on him. So you know, in in a way, it's kind of positionless basketball when when they go to that lineup. I think, and and you just match up with with whoever matchups best. All right, let's go to uh, Dylan, our good friend Dylan on here. Dylan Delissi says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big is Svi's decision enough to move KU from number 9 to number 2? And just for those folks out there, the uh, he's referencing Myron Metcalf's way too early ESPN.com rankings where KU moved from 9 to 2 after Svi's decision, uh, now number 2 in the preseason poll. So what do you think? How big of a deal is the Svi decision? Well, you know, Myron likes to eat a lot of popcorn, and I think – so he he got a bad batch or something that's <laughs> screwing with his head because I don't know what I mean. I'll I'll say this when when I started this is the first year where I didn't do right as soon as the buzzer sounds the top twenty five for the next year, but I was happy I didn't have that assignment this year because I was trying to think okay who would I put number one, and it was really really hard to come up with with who it would be. And, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe Villanova and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I think some of those rankings, people have Nova just barely in the top 10. So I think it's a really, really tough year. I'll, I'll say that. I think it's a really tough year. I'm not sure. I think Kansas nine is probably too low. Just betting on Bill Self's track record, betting on the talent. I think two, nine is too low. I don't know how Svee necessarily changes you from nine to ten for, to two. Although you know I'm the biggest Svee's believer out there, but I don't think he changes Kansas that much. Although I do think he helps. You know maybe he's worth a spot or two. So you know their preseason rankings are just for for talk. So it's it's not that that big a deal. But um, I, I do think you know in, in terms of what Svee makes Kansas. He could, you could see KU maybe being a one seed as opposed to a two seed because of Svi. I think, you know, he might be a difference of a seed line, but I think they would be a similar team whether he had left or not. Yeah, uh, I've, I've taught you anything on this podcast, CJ. This is the place for shameless plugs. So right after Svi made his decision, I did write a blog about what his return meant to Kansas, and 
almost exact same lines as you look. You have to view it as a positive for Kansas. It's not a bad thing when you have a fourth-year returning player come back and a guy who has a professional future, whether it's in the NBA or elsewhere. However, having said that, it was a position where KU didn't have a huge need. So how much better is FEMA Luke than the additional minutes, him taking the minutes from a combination of LeGerald Vick, uh, you know, Sam Cunliffe, and then Marcus Garrett, who's a top 40 recruit. You know, what's the replacement level there? Uh, you know, he was probably going to get pretty good minutes from whatever guy was going to fill in that spot anyway. So, again, it's an overall positive for Kansas, but I don't want to overstate what it means because they had pretty good options there already. So, Svi coming back is good, but how good? Uh, it's it's okay. You know what I mean? It's 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 probably better than anything Bill Self could have pulled this late in recruiting. Who knows? Because that staff has been so good at pulling late guys in recruiting. Maybe they could have pulled something out of their hat. But, you know, it, you're happy for the kid. You're happy for him coming back. You're happy for the story and that him being able to maybe rise his stock. But I don't think that this sways KU's chances or rankings or whatever that much. Like you said, maybe from a, a 2C to a 1C, that's the kind of range I would be looking at. So I definitely agree with you right there. Real quick from Dynamite Hawk, Dynamite Hawk one on uh, Twitter and one of uh, the live blog followers. We appreciate that on KC Star. He says, if you name your first child Dynamite, I will get a pet fish and name him or her Jesse this weekend. So that seems like a fair trade to me. Gosh darn it, CJ. The only problem is I've already, already had a kid. I, I've already had a kid and you've already had Catch a kid. Catch up, Dynamite. Yeah, so Dynamite's way behind in this. So, you know, that would have happened immediately. My wife would have gone for it. I mean, Dynamite would have been the name of our first daughter or son. <laughs> but since this came so late, it's just not going to happen. So, unfortunately, there's not going to be a Jesse Goldfish out there. So, sorry to disappoint you, Dynamite, but you just were too, a little bit too late to the draw. Yeah, and for anyone who, who has the same offer for me, you know, I'm done. <laughs> the, the, the moors are done, so... uh no more kids coming this way, so no more no dynamites. You know, while that's a fa- fabulous name, there will be no dynamite no more in in the uh, future. Dynamite. Although dynamite Newell really has a touch. I mean, you guys are going to have more kids. You, you're not just going to settle on the one, are you? You're done. not going to be one done. Done. One, one and done. done. One and done. Oh, Even if oh. it's leaving the NBA, it's 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 in this household for sure. I can respect that. One and done. All listen, right. Listen, I will tell you, it, dynamite more has a ring to it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Look, the the best name I've covered any time, and I will always say this, so the Cap Journal, I covered a, a preps girl who ran track and played basketball. Her name was Jazz Sweet. Awesome Jazz name. Sweet. Jazz nice. Sweet. I mean, I think she's playing in college somewhere now, but I will always remember that name because that is an awesome name. Whoever her mom is, congratulations. That is the best name I've covered. <laughs> what, what do you think the best name that you've covered is, CJ? Best name I've covered. Man, you put me on the spot here. Listen, listen, it would be Dynamite more if you had that kid. And he was sports. <laughs> I guarantee you that would be the best name. Uh, maybe so. We we call my son Henry. We call him the Hammer. So uh, you know the Hammer Hammer more. I don't know. Not, not really a Hammer more, but we call him the Hammer. So someday out there, you know, I'll be shouting, "Come on, Hammer!" That that, that could be fun. Yeah. Well, and he'd probably go by that too. Definitely. Uh, you know. If, <laughs> In the starting lineups, that might have a little bit more intimidating ring to it, whether he plays basketball or baseball or whatever the case might be. From yeah. Joe on here, uh, he says, uh, what are some tactics, if any, that can that Self can implore to his guys that help them play looser and pivotal games such as the Elite Eight? And it's the million-dollar question, <laughs> CJ. I mean, like, I think Bill Self deals with this question a lot in his own mind. Him I up mean, at night. Yeah, I mean, just even forget everyone else. Forget the outside pressure. Forget yeah. us talking about it in the offseason. Like, don't you think this is a question that he grapples with a lot, maybe even every week, maybe even every single day? 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that he thinks about it. I, I don't know that he would think about it that much. I mean, maybe when you get there, you start to think about it. I, I, I think maybe they just need to quit talking about it. Yeah. And just, you know, just go out there and, and, and play and not say anything about it. and Or just be like, hey, when you get to this type of, you know, when, when, when you, this is the answer you get, like, at that, at that time. When you get to this stage, of course there's there's pressure and there's stakes. There's pressure for everybody. We embrace that. We want pressure. That's why kids come to Kansas. They want pressure. So we're going to go out there and we're going to, you know, deal with it and we're going to compete and we want pressure. So let's let's go have some fun. I don't know, something like that. You know, try to get that mentality through your kids. It, it's hard. I mean, it's it's a it's a um it's it's kind of become a thing just because they've they've played that way in, in, in some of those elite eight games. But I don't I don't necessarily think that's what happened this this past year with Oregon. I just think you caught Oregon on a night where they were really, really, really good, had a really, really good game plan, and had this dude named Jordan Bell who basically eliminated everything you wanted to do. Yeah, it's it's just difficult at Kansas because Final Four is the standard, and that's always going to be the thing. It's funny, I was going through some uh, – I did a, a ranking blog today, ranking some stuff, and I was going back through the KC Star archives, and I typed in Roy Williams to the photo archive, and sure enough, there was a photo that popped up with him and Stankum. You know, Stankum, was, I had that shirt this, this back in the day. Stankum, the old monkey that you know got yeah. the gorilla off KU's back. But I, I agree was with that you. Oh one, uh, it was the me yeah, Mississippi River. So oh one oh two, right? Is that am I saying I think that it right? It was oh one. I think it was the year before they got to, to the Final Four, wasn't it? Well, we can do a, you. You can do a quick Google search as I'm as I continue talking, or I can do a quick Google search as well. But it just it is interesting because this has kind of become. Bill self stank him. You know what I mean? This 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 elite eight, whatever you want to call it. And you know, I've talked before about. Oh, you're right. Yeah, March twenty first, two thousand one. It's the, uh, the 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 KU stuffed monkey stank him. So, um, wait. No, no twenty. Uh, yeah, two thousand one. I'm sorry. Uh, I was. Yeah, it was. It was getting out of the second round. Getting out of the second round. That's right. So this has kind of become Bill self stank him, if you will. But again, I I think from questions, I remember Vahe. Gregorian, uh, my colleague here at the Kansas City Star, asked him the question uh, at this Elite Eight and said, hey, you know, what is it going to take to get over it? And, I mean, Bill Self embraces that. He knows what's out there. He understands that this is a tough round. He, he, he fully says that it's the toughest round for his team. But, you know, one other thing that might help Kansas, and it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen in the near future because uh, of all the success that they have. You know, remember, I think about the best game that KU's played in the Elite Eight, and that was against North Carolina. And KU was the two seed, and North Carolina was the one seed. And all the focus was on Roy Williams facing his old team, and all the pressure was on Carolina to make it to the Final Four, all those sorts of things. And KU played loose and played fine and, and, and didn't really uh, seem but to they be played, tight. But what's funny is they kind of played tight in like, that whole tournament until that point. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yes, they did. And I agree with you because up until that point, it was like get the pressure yeah. to get there. But that's what I'm saying is like you almost just need – an Elite Eight game where you're not the team being looked at, when you're not the team that's the favorite. And, again, Bill Self, that's really difficult because they are going to be the favorite to get to the Final Four almost every single year in, in that Elite Eight game that they play in if they make it that far. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. But like I said, I don't think it's from a lack of trying. I think he's adjusted his ways. I think he's become more loose in the locker room before games. I think he's thought about this. I think he's tried different things. It just hasn't worked out. And, again, all this could be – a very small sample size thing. You only get one chance to lead eight every year or every other year, or every third year. And uh, it just hasn't worked out for Kansas, but I don't think it's for a lack of trying. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and say that. Let's wrap up with this one from William Hanna. What rule or rule changes would you like to see in college basketball and why? Love this question. CJ, 
what rule changes in college basketball? Uh, six fouls. Okay. I think I think players should get six fouls. I think you would at least get to see more guys play with two in the first half. I think it's stupid when you pull a guy just because he has two fouls and you don't play in the rest of the half. I mean, baskets count just as much in the first half as they do in the second half, you know, and a lot of times, I, I guess sometimes it's situational. I mean, you got to look at the player, but I don't think every coach should have a hard, fast rule where, hey, if a guy has two fouls, I'm sitting him. And I think Self's adjusted to that the last few years. I think Absolutely. he's played guys more with two yes. than he would have in the past. So I, I would like six, six fouls just because, you know, you'd see the good players not fouling out as much and, you know that foul trouble not being as much of a factor which i think sucks and you know it, it sucks when you take the the best players out of the game so i would i would change it to, to six fouls i would let's see here i like the um i like the international rule where after um an offensive rebound you only have like 14 seconds or whatever shortened shot clock that's kind of cool. Okay. I, I, I would I would embrace I'm, that. I'm getting the impression here, CJ, that you don't see a lot that needs fixing with college basketball. Is that I, I, I you, well, you you get that impression because I told you that before the blo- before the uh, podcast spoiler alert. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I don't see a lot wrong with college basketball. I think I don't know how you necessarily. All right, I I will say this. There's a reason that nationally you're going to see less national writers on the college basketball level soon. You know, there, there is a problem in the track. The sport just doesn't have the traction for the, as long as maybe college football does, you know, it's, it's a lot of outlets and a lot of people view it as a one month sport and that's a tr- sucks. And it's a tragedy, I think. But so m- maybe somehow you make the regular season more, meaningful but i i don't necessarily know how you do that i just think it's a you know i I don't know that there's a way to fix that you know the 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 best thing is you keep the the pros in the game longer like you the one and done rule maybe if the nba would change it to a two and done rule that would help college basketball that would help maybe get a few more viewers in but as far as the product that's on the court i think it's a pretty darn good product and i don't really know how you make it that much better. The the biggest thing for me is I've always thought you could improve the officiating by making them like employees, you know, making having a NCAA officiating pool and having the NCAA in charge of it and, you know, not having all these basically independent contractors working these games and working so many games. Have it have more control as far as the officials goes. You probably get better officiating that way. But other than that, the rules I think we're in a pretty good place right now. Oh, well, but Jesse, Jesse, I, I know you got a well, list. I did. Let's hear well, for, it. Well, let's start. Jesse's with this. got like four point let's, plays. Let's let's start. Let's start with this. Six track. fouls not going to work because you're just going to encourage more fouling, which is going to encourage more free throws, which is going to make the game worse than it already is right now. Oh, which no. I'm not saying a horrible, but again, oh, you right. don't want more fouls. So you don't want to encourage more fouls. It's also going to make tougher for people to score inside, which is a bad thing for the game. I agree with you that you want to take the officiating out of it more than college basketball is right now, which is a big problem, but I don't think that's the way to do it. My number one thing, and I know I, everybody is going to call me crazy for this, and everyone always has, but 
I would go to an untimed ending of game. See, to me, if you're going to be college basketball, be different than the NBA. I mean, it obviously is not as good a product as the NBA, and people that love basketball are going to watch the NBA, but make it is different. Is the, tur- the tournament trying that this summer, I think? The uh, Yes, the tournament is trying that summer. Do this, untimed ending. So basically, you play the first 36 minutes. At the end of that, you have your media timeout, and then what happens is uh, you add seven points to that to the team that's leading total and then when they get to that point, whoever gets to that point total first wins. So let's say you're up 62-53. The target score is 69. First team to 69 wins. And that way you don't have fouls at the end. You don't have everything muddied up at the end. You take officiating almost completely out of it when all these teams are hacking and it's just bad basketball. It's an eyesore. You take all that out that. of it. I don't hate that. Listen, it sounds like too jock jams-ish to me or something. You know? But, but, <laughs> but if this, What was the NBA? Not jock, Was it jock jams? Is that right? The NBA MTV. Jam. Huh? NBA the M- Jam no, the, video game? No, no, the, the MTV, like, uh, where they had, like, four-point plays. And, uh, and, well, no, listen. The Jock Jam, is that right? If this I don't know, it sounds like it's it, – it, on the it sounds too gimmicky at first when you first say it, but when you really think about it, I, I, I do like where you're going there. I, I, I like your reasoning for it. I don't know if that's the way to do it, but I, I, I like where your reasoning is coming from. Here's Here's the negative involved. Fewer time, less time for Bill Self, uh, Bill Self's son Tyler. Take away buzzer beezers. And, and, and walk and walk ons. Yeah, so you don't see the walk ons. There will be no oh. overtimes, but every game would have a game winner. And that is not something that happens right now. So I think that's also uh, something that would, could energize the game, get it going. The, I mean, again, if you're going to take a fishing out of it, the num- number, number two thing that you do is you either go to quarters, which everyone else does, including women's basketball, or you go to, hey, you reset the fouls at the 10-minute mark. The one-and-one one is what kills the college game. I mean, when, when teams get six fouls in the first five minutes of the half and you're just shooting free throws from then on, it, it creates this crazy home court advantage and it also slows down the game, all those sorts of things. Take fishing out of it by doing that. Uh, the three-point line's got to move back at some point, but I guess if people are fine with it now, it kind of adds some variance to the game. And then, as you were talking about earlier, how can you make college basketball more than a one-month sport? Everyone's going to hate me for this. Everyone's going to hate me because their office pool will be going away. Shorten up the tournament bracket. Start with eight teams. Start with four teams. Start with 16 teams. You don't need 68 freaking teams in this tournament. Reward teams for a good regular season. That means the regular season means something. So have a better national I, champion every I, single I think year. 64 is the best. I mean, I, I think you go back to 64. I'd be okay with going back to but 64. But 64 is gimmicky. I mean, if, if we thought, if you thought, if you were an alien who came to this to this planet and said what is this why do these teams play for five months if they're gonna have a 68 team tournament what the heck is going on i mean i know there's there's craziness and excitement all that in the NCAA tournament but it just doesn't make any sense if you're a really good team and it makes sense that nobody would watch the the sport for five months because the first five months doesn't mean anything so to me shorten up the NCAA tournament i know everybody would hate it no march madness yada 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 i don't care give me the best basketball at the end the college football nobody seems to care that only the top four teams are in the playoff everybody seems to kind of like it because the really good teams are playing each other yeah, I don't know. The tournament's a beautiful thing. <laughs> the tournament's a beautiful thing, Jesse. Why is it beautiful? Why? It's, it's just it's just it. It's so much fun, you know. So you, you want to take out the uh, the Valpos and the Bryce Drews and the um, you know the Davidsons and Steph Curry run. I mean, you be you be eliminating those things. Yeah, I don't care. You don't care, uh, you know. I, I'm I'm good with the the 64. I, I just think it's a you know people are either going to like college basketball or they're going to not. Like, I don't think you can necessarily draw in this this the 
casual sports fan by by making any drastic changes like you either like college basketball or you don't and i like trying to go out and grab the casual sports fan i i just don't i i don't think there's like any way to to really do that so um I, don't I, know, think, I just I, think you're, you're going to have the, the the base you have, and like you know, the more schools that are good in college basketball, the better because because you know people obviously are going to be interested. If their school's good. I think so. But, I think that's a defeatist uh, attitude, TJ. And nobody does not talk about college football because they're not in the national championship hunt. You know what I mean? You can still have a good season. You can still be great. You can still have the regular season mean something and get yourself into the top four or whatever, or have a surprise season. But but you know, if you're a top twenty five team, it doesn't mean you don't care about your team because you're not able to be in the postseason tournament at the end. It just means that you had a good season and everybody's happy with the good season you had. But uh, it's just a warped sense of view because everybody talks about March Madness and says it's great and believes the upsets are great. But uh, I'm telling you, it's it's it's, it's I, making I, I the first you, five I, months. I like I like for me like a college basketball pure you know guy that loves college basketball. I the tournament does get better the deeper it goes. Usually, yes, like the the, the first weekend. The upsets are fun, but I, I I like when it gets to be so. I'm I'm with you there, um, I, you know. Then then maybe it, but if you, if we do that, then you have to make another division. Like you have to have a division one and a division one A or whatever. You know, you can't have three. And you know, to be honest with you, three hundred and fifty some teams is too many. Like let's go down to a hundred division one teams, and let's make it sixteen. Make the tournament. Okay. Something like that. I'm with you. Let's right, do it. That, all right, I'm good. I'm good with that. <laughs> Boom, <laughs> it's my, done. Change my opinion, I guess. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Because 300. Let's. What is it right now? 351. It was last year. Like that's that's too many. I'll just look at like let's look at the bottom of Ken Palm. Al, Alabama A&M, Presbyterian, North Carolina A&T, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, I'm okay getting rid of all those teams and making them put them in another division. Like. It's it's still it's it kind of it's kind of stupid in a way when you think about it because like what's the point of having those teams be in the same division as a Kansas like those teams should have their own national championship so yeah let's and, let's, and, let's and they do in, and they do in college football they do in college football so I'd be good with going to like a hundred teams college football is what a hundred and twenty one or something like that yeah hundred twenty eight ish somewhere in that range but uh, so who do I, and, who, who do I need to write to do I contact Judge Judy or who who's next <laughs> we uh, I, I guess we just contact the NCA and, and and tell them we're we're here to fix things okay well that's it I, I've, I've solved all write the a nice write a nice letter write a nice letter that's how yeah. all good things start is just writing Mr. nice letters Emmer. to people <laughs> dear Mister Emmer right, yeah. Let's let's this is our summer project. Okay, well we'll work on it, and I will also uh, let you go just because I know that I'm looking at my watch and nap time could be done anytime. I here, might so. hear a screaming child, but my wife's home now. So. <laughs> yeah, don't ignore Shh. a screaming child, and we we can't get she, that blamed on me, especially with people listening here to the podcast. Well, yeah. CJ, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, for CJ, this is Jesse. We're going to sign off for the Sports BKC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.